0: We're going to talk about spiritual legacy this morning, a topic that um, I hardly knew about 10 years ago, but then three things happened in my life. First thing, this was about 10 years ago, I had just turned 60, and I saw an article in USA Today one morning, it was about an executive of a large corporation, and he had quite suddenly come to find that he only had 100 100 days to live, and he said this, I've spent 60 years, I was 60 at the time, it really struck home. He said, I've spent 60 years trying to be a success at life, and now I've got 100 days to be a success in dying. It really struck me. Because up to that point in time, I hadn't thought much about that. Second thing that happened, and it was about that time, maybe a year later, and I don't remember the circumstance. I don't remember if I was on retreat or, or what. But I came to recognize that I didn't have in my possession a single thing in my own dad's handwriting. At the time he'd passed away, he'd been with Jesus for 15 years. But I didn't have a single thing, not even his signature. And that just affected me. And I thought, Lord, what of my dad will last when my generation passes by? And then the third thing. Well, the third thing is something that literally has changed my life the last nine years. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we don't have to wonder how we're to live this life. You have given us very specific instructions. We simply have to look to your word And it all becomes clear. And so I pray today, Lord, that as I speak on your command that we build and leave a spiritual legacy, that your word will take root, that your people will be blessed, and Lord, that we will determine to follow you even in this. And that's my prayer in Jesus' name. If you open up your Bibles, please, to Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter. Deuteronomy, the fourth chapter. It's the longest sermon in the Bible. The whole book is a sermon. It takes place at the end of the 40 years of wandering in the desert. Moses is the pastor that morning. He stands on the plains of Moab, just in front of the Jordan River. They're about to cross. Of course, we know Moses won't be allowed to cross but he gives this sermon, recognizing at the time that over these 40 years, they've really seen it all. There's been the commandments and the covenants. There's been the warning. There's been the great sin. There's been the hypocrisy. There's been the um, the, the musing and the wanderings and the complaints and on and on and on and on and on. And Moses' sermon, well, it's like the final words Of a father desperately not wanting the lessons of life to be forgotten as he passes from the scene and I don't remember the specific situation when this came to me I'm sure I was musing in the book of Deuteronomy but when I came upon the fourth chapter in the ninth verse I had no idea at the time how it was going to change my life But I'll tell you what I think of the fourth chapter and the ninth verse right now. I call it my marching orders for my senior years. Listen to what Moses says. He says, just make sure that you stay alert. Keep close watch over yourselves. Don't forget anything of what you've seen. Don't let your hearts Wander off. Stay vigilant as long as you live. And I want you to listen very closely. Moses says, Teach what you've seen and what you've heard to your children and your grandchildren. What you've seen and what you've heard. Brothers and sisters, That takes in a lot, doesn't it? What's very interesting is that all through this section, Moses uses the declarative. There's nothing in here wherein Moses says, you know, I highly recommend this. Or would you take this suggestion to heart? Oh, no. Moses uses the same declarative words that are used in Exodus with the Ten Commandments. He says, teach, do it, I command you. You see, if you take a careful look at not only that ninth um, uh, verse, but if you flip over to the sixth uh, chapter, there's some other verses there, we won't go there this morning, but you'll see that the declaratives are exactly what was used in the book of Exodus with the Ten Commandments. So when we talk about passing on what we've seen and what we've heard, this is not just a nice thing to do, brothers and sisters. This is a command of Scripture. It's something the Lord says that we are to do. It's as much a part of us as everything else in our Christian life. That wasn't the case for me, though, until about nine or ten years ago, and I began to muse about this a business of leaving a spiritual legacy. At the time, I had six children, three grandchildren. That would eventually grow to 17. And um, although I had done my fair share of teaching, I recognized that there wasn't much of me that was written down. There wasn't much that was concrete, And that when I would pass from the scene, like with my dad, a generation removed, how much would still be there? You know, when I talk about a spiritual legacy, uh, it's much different than a legacy uh, as the world thinks of it. you see, legacy to the world is whatever you might leave behind that makes your light shine. But don't you know a spiritual legacy... Is all about what you leave that makes His light shine. Two things are involved with spiritual legacy. Number one, it has to be something that lets the people you leave it to know without a doubt what your life was constituted of. You see, spiritual legacy is where you let others know that there was nothing more important than your faith, nothing more important than Jesus. It's got to be overwhelming that that's what you stood for in your life. And secondly, by its very nature, it's got to be some concrete evidence. You see, something's got to stay. Something's got to be um, left over that people can touch and hold something that can be passed down. So, what I'd like to do this morning, I'd like to take you a little bit on a journey as to how the Lord has led Doris and I over the last, I guess, nine years now, uh, since this revelation came to us. Some of the things that the Lord has led us uh, to do. Um, but as but as um, we share these things, let me just say this in advance. Uh, We had no plan to do anything specific other than we determined that we were going to find out what this business of spiritual legacy was, and we were going to follow the scriptures. But other than that, things just began to happen over the last nine or ten years, as though the Lord knew that we had a heart to do this, and from time to time he would bring things up that we would then begin to execute in our life. So as I share these things, they're very personal to Doris and I, but they're by no means a recommended list of what anyone else should do. I really believe that when you have a heart to follow the Scripture here and leave a spiritual legacy, well, by and by, the Lord will make very clear what it is you're to leave. Some things that have affected Doris and I may affect you. Other things not. But you'll have your own way of leaving a spiritual legacy. So I'm going to take you a little bit through um, our journey. I'm also going to, even before I do that, I want to take you to one more scripture. I could probably take you to a dozen, more than a dozen. We've not time for that, but suffice to say that it's in many places in scripture that we're to build and leave a spiritual legacy. And then finally this morning, I want to give you some suggestions and how you might go about starting the process—maybe some hints, maybe some things that Doris and I have learned. But first, let's take a look at one more scripture uh, before we talk a little bit about our own experience. Psalm 78. Uh, this is every bit as powerful a scripture as one from Deuteronomy, mainly because of one word. I'll have you listen for that. Psalm 78. This is not one of David's psalms. It's one of ASAP's. But it's a powerful piece of the Word of God. Psalm 78, verse number 1. O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from their children. We will tell them to the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he's done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Kind of a summary, reiterating what Moses already said, adding some starch to it, and then this one word, then, you see the then here in this scripture refers to your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren. Listen to what this says, what a promise. It says, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds but would keep his commands. Brothers and sisters, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, when we follow the scripture here and begin to build a spiritual legacy to leave, the Bible says, then, you see, then, cause and effect, then our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren will trust in the Lord. There's a generational thing that the scripture implies that when we build and leave a spiritual legacy, God will take that through future generations. I didn't need any more proof. I hope you don't. Let me share with you a little of what uh, happened with Doris and I. Uh, Not surprising, the first thing that we began to think about was this matter of writing with our own hand. As I indicated, I had nothing of my dad's, not one letter, not even his signature. And by and by, I came upon this little book called Letters from Dad. I think I found it down in Florida back in uh, 2002 or 2003. And listen just this one sentence. It says this, if you were to die today, What would be in the tackle box of your life? What would your children hold in their hands tomorrow that would let them know that both they and God were the treasures of your life? I began writing to my children two or three times a year with no specific plan just to write to them as the Lord would lead me. And by and by, I got each each of our six a box like this. This is um, David's. It says uh, to my son David, it's got a picture of David when uh, he was um, a youngster. Yeah, that's me. I got brown hair back then. And, and inside inside are letters and cards and all this and that. And uh, that's just um, something to put the letters in. Um, but in particular, I write them in my own hand. Um, I write them without a plan, just here and there. But it's in my mind to write a couple, three times a year. This has been going on now for eight or nine years. So on average, my three sons and three daughters have maybe 25 or 30 letters. And I plan to keep doing that till the Lord takes me home. Then I keep a file at home that's got a copy of all of them. So if they're any ever lost, they can be found. And what I try to do is just share myself. I'll never forget, I sent the first letter, and I talked about a retreat that I was on in 1967, and I know my oldest son won't remember this, but he was at our house laying a brick walk coming up to the front door, and he said this to me. He said, Boy, Dad, you've got some great stories. You see, and the Lord used that to just give me an encouragement. You know, as I was beginning this uh, process, and so... Um, writing to your children. I, it's, it's, it was a little uncomfortable at first, but I'll tell you about that as we get to the last point of my um, message. But that's, I, I, it, And it's not simply the things of God, although the focus can't help but be there because that's what my life is all about. I mean, I may share about their life or I may share a story from my past or I may share a scripture that just got a hold of me. My daughter, Linda, just left for Charlotte. We've had all of our children here forever, and now Linda and Rebecca, both families have moved, one to Charlotte, one to um, uh, Florida. And last week I wrote a letter to Linda because I had such a sense from the Lord that um, although she was going to be gone, that this was a special time for her and her family. They know nobody in Charlotte. There's no family, no friends. And I thought, God, how you can work. And I said that to Linda. I said, "Be aware, you know, look for God to work. Great things are going to happen." A couple of years later, I was um, Doris and I were up in Door County, and um, I had just bought a Bible, uh, a translation, uh, the Message translation. I hadn't had that translation before, and I remember distinctly one morning, I was out on the deck. Doris was still sleeping or maybe she was praying in the room. I don't know. But open up that Bible and I began to, um, read and, and just meditate and, and just, it just happened that Mark, you just, my son Mark just was so heavy on my heart. And I just began to pray for Mark. And, um, I didn't know why there wasn't a specific thing. It was just that I should pray for Mark. Well, in the next few days, I continued doing the same thing, praying for Mark. And um, I don't know if it was a month or two later or whatever, but I just determined, I believed led by the Lord, that um, I would pray for Mark out of that Bible that year. In other words, every time, every morning I'd go to pray, Mark would be uh, an important part of my focus. And then about four or five months later, um, I got to thinking about Mark's son, Jacob. And so I added Jacob. And uh, for the rest of that year, every morning I prayed for Mark and Jacob, and then I would do my normal meditations. And in the process, I would write all through the Bible. I would just, you know, as prayers would come to me for Mark or Jacob, I would just write. Um, And I never, I never had such enjoyment in the Word of God, is that I had that year, and ever since. You see, because when I finished that year, I got a leather cover and I inscribed it for Mark and Jacob, and then I gave that Bible to Mark. And I hope that God will use that as part of my legacy for Mark and for Jacob and for Jacob's son and so forth and so forth. But, of course, you know, that wasn't the end of the story because... I've not got just one child, I have six, and I've got not just one grandchild, but I've got 17. And so at this writing, I'm working on a Bible, I won't tell you who it's from, because I always keep it a secret, I let the Lord lead me, but right now there's six of these Bibles out there, for six of my children and six of my grandchildren. And I tell the Lord, Lord, you've got to keep me here at least for 11 more years because I've got to cover the other grandchildren. We all get um, lots of invitations for weddings, and um, you know, this is an interesting one because uh, it's a good example of how legacy comes to you, and you just haven't the foggiest idea. You don't even know it's legacy till after you've done it. but. Doris and I were talking, I don't know, six or seven years ago, and we thought, you know, we, we get lots of invitations for weddings and all this and that, and we get gifts and send them on and all this and that, and, and um, it's kind of like Christmas gifts. Ten years, 20 years later, well, I mean, you don't even remember what they are. I think we remember one of our wedding gifts, right? The old St. Mary's blanket, right? Oh. <laughs> that one. You know what I mean? It's gone. And... um So what we began to do, I think we only caught our last child, the last of the six marriages, we sent this book. We have maybe, uh, it's called Love and Respect. We have maybe a hundred books on marriage in our library at home, and there's not a one that even begins to touch this, Uh, Dr. Egerich's book on Love and Respect. And so what we began to do is we would take the book, and in the front we would write to the couple, and we'd share a little bit of our own, not really, uh, not so much our own experience, but kind of just the idea that if, you, if you're going to expect to have any kind of a decent marriage without Jesus, you, you, you are whistling in the wind. You know, we don't say it that way, of course. I hope we say it better. But, but, uh, but we usually write um, for a couple pages, and, uh, and then we send it off. Well, we didn't even realize until a couple years thereafter, well, this is a piece of our spiritual legacy. Because where's that book going to go? We have no idea where that book's going to go. There's going to be with that couple. But this is a concrete piece of something. And even if it's somebody that doesn't know Doris or I, at some point in time, you know, they're maybe going to read this, and they're going to be struck, and they're going to say, Oh, my goodness. So another piece of spiritual legacy, it also makes it easy. We never have to worry about getting wedding gifts. We get a stack of these at home. And, in fact, we got a wedding. We got an invitation. You saw it on my desk, sweetie. And I just, I just grabbed it. I grabbed one of the books, put it on top of this, and that reminds me in the next couple of weeks I need to um, do this. Uh, Bible study with my grandchildren. You know, This doesn't really technically fit um, uh, a legacy because there's nothing concrete there. Um, But I guess maybe um, seven or eight years ago, uh, I began doing Bible studies with uh, various of my grandchildren. And at this uh, day, I do it with 11 of them now. In fact, I was hoping little Lucy was still going to be here. You see the little blondie that came in, only four years old? We had our first Bible study Saturday at McDonald's in Grafton, you know, and um, what I do is I carry three Bibles in my car, these two, and then a regular NIV, so I'm just ready for whatever the uh, age group is. But Lucy, little Lucy, she's even before the first Bible. And we sat in McDonald's, and she wanted a a hash brown and a strawberry shake at 9 in the morning. And, uh, (laughs) And, you know, all Lucy wanted to do was talk about heaven. You see, that's all she wanted to do. And she had a a bit of a focus. She wanted to make sure that Belle, the cat she loves, is in heaven, but that Butterscotch, her brother's cat, who always scratches her, doesn't make the cut. But you see, that's how it starts. What we do is I do this about eight months of the year. And during the school year, I'll pick whoever the child is up, you know, about an hour and 15 minutes before school. We'll go to a restaurant uh, close to the school. We'll spend about 15 minutes talking about the story. They read a little bit. I read a little bit. Then we order. And then when the food's being prepared, we continue talking. And we start with, I always have a scripture, but then... Um, I go where the child wants to go. You see? I go where the child wants to go. I may have a lesson, but if they're moving in a different direction and want to talk about something, well, that's where we go. And um, (laughs) I've told others, people say, well, what is your job today? And I said, I teach my grandchildren. It is the single most important job. I mean, I love being pastor here, although my time is kind of past, and the other ones are you know, have more uh, energy and more time and all this and that. But I have a job. I've got these 17 and 11 so far, and I am intent to um, uh, help their moms and dads, um, you know, in their own um, spiritual quest. And by the way, they love it. They love it. This is not something that's got to be forced or anything like that. They just love doing it. So my hope is that they will take that, and as they grow up, they'll want to do that with their children and their grandchildren. and God will, in fact, make it be a piece of my spiritual legacy. About three years ago, some of you know Doris and I have been going on retreats forever, it seems. Thirty years now. This will be our 30th year. We go off in silence. And um, at different times going back, I had... um, a couple of the children um, come along, and um, about three years ago I said, you know, let's formalize this, because I, I, I think there's something here that God can do. And so um, I talked to, um, I think, Mark and David at the time, Oh, I think maybe Jason, and um, I got them to come with me, um, And one, two, this will be the third year, and so they came with me, um, on a silent retreat up at the Jesuit Retreat House in Oshkosh. And I said to him, I said, look, I have a purpose here. You know, it's not only to come with your dad and we retreat together, but our oldest grandchild, our oldest grandson, he's 11. And so he's moving to this age. I look to the day where um, the grandsons begin to join grandpa and the sons. And then last year we had four And this year we have four once again, and now Doris has begun, and she's got Rachel and three of the other uh, daughters and daughters-in-law. And we've decided they take the first weekend in September, and I take the second weekend in September. And that's the idea. We're going to carry that forth every year. And so, Hannah, you will grow up seeing Grandma and your mom go off to retreat in the first weekend of September. You know, Hannah, wonderful young woman of God, 11 years old, well, five years from now, she'll be 16, and it'll be time, and she'll be used to it, and it'll be like, well, I hope it is more so than first driving. When do you get to drive? 16? You get to drive when you're, is that what it is? You know, kids look forward to it. I want our grandkids to look forward to being able to go off on retreat every fall with their moms and dads or grandma and grandpa. And of course, then to be infected with how wonderful that is to be alone with the Lord in silence for a couple of days and then want to pass that on someday to their children and their children's children. And then um, last year, um, let me see, about a year and a half ago, Doris and I are in Florida. We have a lot of time in Florida. Thanks be to God. <laughs> we have a we have a busy life, um, you know. Here here in Wisconsin, we go off to Florida for a few months in the winter time, and and I I tell people I love Florida mainly because I have no competition for Doris. She's all mine. The kids come down for maybe uh, a week here and there, so maybe a quarter of the time we have visits. But we got to thinking that. Um, um, You know, our own story, just our personal story of love and our marriage, and and we'll be 47 years a week from tomorrow, that, uh, you know, we we want to pass that on as best we can to our children. So we began just kind of writing our story. We we had no idea what it was going to end up be. uh, Doris would start writing things, and I'd say, Well, no, it wasn't really like that. It was kind of like this, and we didn't have any fights, by the way. But we kind of helped each other out, and um, this is what we ended up with. uh, We call it Peter and Doris, a love story, 1962 to 1964. But it really carries beyond that because we have a chapter here for our 40th anniversary and then an epilogue and and all this and that. But I just want to read. um, This is where we, this is about this, huh? Forty-some years ago. (laughs) Uh, But I want to read something to you Um, in the introductory chapter. um, I say this, and this will give you a sense of the legacy. We didn't just do this to tell a story. You see, if you simply tell stories, well, those are a dime a dozen. You can find those anywhere. Those are the things that make our light shine. That's not what we're about. Listen. And and this is specifically written to our six children. You see, legacy for us is very personal to our six children, and then it flows down from them. We do things directly, but what we hope and we pray and we believe is that God will work with our six children, you see, because it's mainly to them to leave a legacy for the next generation. I mean, I love leaving a legacy for you, Miss Hannah, okay? But the main responsibility for you Is your mom and dad, you see? We're kinda like second in line. We love being second in line though. But so I'm writing to my children and I say this and we we would alternate. I would I would wherever you see my picture then I'm writing, wherever Doris's picture comes then she's writing. So I say this in the introduction, I said, Your mom is and always has been this off the charts absolutely incredible woman. Truly it is in the main her doing that we have what we have today. Then Jesus. I didn't even begin to have the right stuff in me to have pulled this one off. As C.S. Lewis once said, they don't make that kind of stuff down here. I finally, but after many, many years of trying and falling short, in 1989, I finally came to grips with what Lewis said. I admitted that I didn't have it in me, to love your mom the way she deserved to be loved. And that's when I began to seriously partner in our marriage with Jesus. And that has made all the difference. Children, you all need to know that your mom and I have what we have today because of Jesus and for no other reason. Doris and I were in Florida um, early this year. And um, once again, I, I'm trying to get, give you this sense that none of this was planned. We didn't uh, think, let's leave a legacy eight years ago and say, oh, we need to do this, 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 and this, and this. In uh, March of this year, um, I was just meditating. Um, Kind of through that section of the um, six books uh, were David and Saul and, you know, the books of Samuel and Chronicles and Kings. And I was so affected by what happened um, in a certain incident with David near the end of his life. Uh, we all know the story of David. I won't move, you know, talk about that at all today. But near the end of the life, David uh, just felt moved by God. That he needed to put in writing what the Bible calls his charge to his son Solomon. To say things that were really on his heart for Solomon. And David was shortly to um, die. And it, it just so affected me. This was back in, uh, actually it was in February. And I thought, Lord, I've, I've, I've never done that with my, my, my own sons. And I need to just think about that. So I prayed about that over the next number of days. And then I wrote my three sons. And I want to just give you an excerpt out of this letter to um, son David. And I said, this is the end of the letter, and I said, So, David, as I move into my senior years and get close to the date that Jesus will take me home, I charge you, get to know this God of your father and get to know him well. Then follow him and live for him in everything. Do not allow yourself to be taken in by the nonsense of this world that tries to make believe that God isn't there or that his ways don't matter or that you can make it without him. Believe me, you can't. I couldn't. And the annals of history are filled with men far better than any of us who have tried. All have failed. And in case after case, their senior years have been filled with sadness, regret, remorse, and worst of all, great fear. No father ever wants that for his son, and I don't want it for you, David. You have been given a godly inheritance, a legacy of many ancestors walking with God before you. You didn't just happen to get your mom and me as your parents. Now it is for you to carry that on. Like your mom and I, to become the right kind of successes in this life such that your children will hear and see and be motivated to duplicate your belief in reverence for and obedience to this God that loves you and cares for me more than you would ever know. And I close this way. David... I believe I have done my part, dedicated myself to, and then passed on to you the legacy given me by my mom and dad. But now it is your turn. You have to take it from here. About a month later, I was in my morning prayer time, and I felt the Lord nudge me strongly as if to say, Well, how about your daughters? (laughs) You know, don't you know that the Bible was written as a time when so much passed through the father. um, But God did not intend that the moms, the daughters, the granddaughters be left astray. And the Lord just made it very clear to me that in the same way that I was to charge my sons, I was also to charge my Daughters, and that's why your letter came a couple months later, Rachel. I charged each one of my daughters, writing to them in my own hand, and saying things that I felt were particular to them. And I could go on and on. But you get the idea. You know, here's a marvelous piece of uh, spiritual legacy that Sheldon, the writer of this book, in his steps... This is the guy, if you will, that invented what would Jesus do. Came out of this book written in 1899. I mean, do you think this man had any idea what would happen? He was very close to his children and grandchildren, and he wrote this story about this little community, hoping that it would influence them for God. And it's influenced millions. You see, that's what's so important about obeying what the Lord tells us to do. You see, it's not just for children, grandchildren. In fact, the Bible makes it very clear. If you take a look at that 78th Psalm, uh, the psalmist uses the pronoun we in a collective way, as if to say, this is not just moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. Oh no, this is for all people and the relationships God would give them to pass on a legacy too, you see. So it might be your neighbor in your case, might be a close friend. Uh, maybe you're not married. Maybe you don't have grandchildren. Well, that still applies to you. You're to leave a godly legacy. And then, importantly, let the Lord use it as he sees fit. You see? It doesn't make any difference if the person that it's addressed to d- d- grabs hold of it or not. David's charge to Solomon, don't you know it didn't take. If you take a look at the remainder of Solomon's life, it didn't take. But how about that charge? We've all got it. You see? It's been in the book for 3,000 years. We've all got it. I recognize when I do things or Doris does things and we leave a legacy, various of our children and grandchildren will grab hold of it. Others will not. It makes no difference. This is David's Bible. It's for him. It's for Ezra. Well, I don't know what use each of them will make of it or where it will be someday. I've got a, I found a place in Arizona where there's just craftsmen that make these leather bindings. And I order them from, I mean, it's the honest to goodness deal. Because I want this to have an opportunity to take the time that God would keep it for you see so we 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 leave a legacy in obedience it has nothing to do with whether we think that person will grab onto it or not that's not important um leonard ravenhill marvelous man of god um only had one son uh died about 15 years ago if you were in, um, I can't think of the name of that town in Texas, but on his gravestone is inscribed this. Is what you're living for worth his dying for? How about that as a legacy, you see? How many thousands, maybe tens of thousands, will have seen that and will be affected by God? So we leave a legacy... Um, Just in obedience. And then we let the Lord use it as he sees fit. Just a few final comments. Um, I already touched on, you know, who is to leave a legacy? Well, we all are. Um, Because it's the collective words of Scripture, the pronouns that are used, that make it very clear that it's not just moms and dads. So if... You know, you, you know, the Lord will put on your mind. Maybe you've got just a really close friend. Maybe that person knows or doesn't know the Lord. It doesn't make any difference. But you just feel moved by the Lord to do whatever kinds of things He would lead you to do. And then you leave that behind someday. When you, um, I was going to say, uh, you know, in terms of when to start, um, I guess we started when we were, 60, I wish we'd started 20 years ago. I mean, how soon is too soon to write things to your children that can be treasured and kept? How soon is too soon to do Bible studies with your children? How soon is too soon to whatever the Lord might put on your heart, you see? In fact, I said to the SWAP group on Tuesday last week, you know, if somebody said, well, when should I start? I said, well, um, figure out the, the year you're going to die. And then go back about 20 years. That's a good time to start. The point is, it's the scripture. It's the command of the Lord. We need to get a heart for it, and then he will lead us to obey that scripture. Now, when you start, just a few little hints. Um, It's a little bit uncomfortable to begin doing things like that that you didn't previously do. And the best way I can explain that is if I go back about 30 years before um, the Lord and I were, um, can I say a couple, you know, uh, back then, um, just living mainly a secular life or a Christian, it was uncomfortable for me simply to say the name Jesus in public. And I'm sure many of you have had that experience. Well, it's a little bit uncomfortable if you begin to write to your children And share the deepest things of your life. But you've not been doing that. My suggestion is this. In the first letter, just say that. Say, you know, I'm uncomfortable doing this. Or maybe say, as I did, I wish I'd started doing this a long time ago. You see? There's nothing wrong with simply telling the truth. You know? It's hard for me to write this way. I'm not used to writing it. Or maybe even, let me share... A scripture with you maybe you share from Deuteronomy for whoever you're going to do you know just just be honest and what you will find is thereafter it's easy you see the second third fourth letter was piece of cake it was no trouble at all to do this I mean this this little book is just filled with our life together which really is not just a life together it's a life together with Jesus You see, when you begin to share this, it just becomes easy. You see, what you're really doing is your, if I can say it this way, when you begin to do that, what you're beginning to do is you're beginning to stop lying. And you're beginning to tell the truth. You see, because when we don't let what is in us out, we're lying. Martin Luther used to say, if you want to be a godly man or woman, you've got to follow three rules in this life. Number one. Don't lie to God. Number two, don't lie to God. Number three, don't lie to God. If you want more reinforcement, look at the second, uh, second Corinthians, the end of the 12th chapter, and look what Paul has to say about it. We begin telling the truth to those that we love the most and those that we want to leave a legacy for. And we just... Don't worry about what they think about it or what their reaction is and so forth. We just be who we are. Okay, I'm going to have Pastor Mitch come back here and we're going to close. You know, I mentioned something earlier that I'd be remiss not to touch on as we're nearing the end here. Um, When I began praying for Mark in that first Bible... It just so affected my morning prayer time. I've been getting alone with the Lord for almost—it'll be 20 years in January. Every morning, just about every morning. Um, But nothing has been like these last seven years. Now you could say, "But Pastor Pete, I mean, why is it that way? Shouldn't God be enough?" Well, of course, God is enough. But brothers and sisters, we're human. And when we can bring in our humanness with the spiritual side of life, I want to tell you we got it all. You see? And when I blend in my own heart for God and I blend in the things the Lord has drawn Doris and I into in terms of legacy, it creates an excitement. You see? It creates an excitement. So this is not something um, that you just do uh, to honor the command of the Lord. Oh, no. This is something that is part and parcel of growing you in the Lord. And don't you know that's the way it always is? You see, there's nothing we do that is simply mechanical for the Lord. Everything we do comes back to us. Because every single thing in God's heart is to grow us closer to Him. So when you commit yourself and and, and, and get a passion to leave and, and develop a spiritual legacy... It's going to grow you in the Lord. You know, today, we have lots of things that we love to do, Doris and I. I'm not sure there's anything that is more important and that we love to do more than all these various things I've shared with you in building a spiritual legacy. I mean, what could be better, Miss Hannah, than you and I sitting for breakfast talking about Jesus? I mean, tell me, what's better? What could be better than being prompted by the Lord, and I sit down and I write a letter to Rachel or John or uh, about the things of God, what's important? Not the nonsense of life that we are so often tied up in, but what's important. You know, who's going to care in a hundred years that you went to Disney World five times? You see, it doesn't make any difference. I want you to close your eyes for a few moments here as I close. And I want you to um, imagine something. You're at a um, luncheon, and at this luncheon there's various uh, family members, friends, um, probably some people here from the church, maybe lots of people, and... um, But this is a very particular luncheon, you see. Uh, This is a luncheon following your own gravesite ceremony. Yes, you're no longer with us. You're not at that luncheon. You're passed from this life. But we're imagining that you can listen in on this luncheon. You can see what's going on. You can see what the people are saying. And by and by... One person, maybe one of your children, maybe one of your grandchildren, asks another one of your friends this question. Could you summarize for me what Pastor Pete's life was all about? Or could you tell me what was important? Could you put it in one sentence? what brad stood for or what joe stood for if you only had a few seconds could you tell me what ralph was all about during his time on this earth or dale or judy or tony or robin just put it into just a few words and i want you to imagine for a moment but the answer for you was. I want you actually to answer the question in your own mind. Say to yourself what that person would say. I won't ask for your report, but I'll give you my report. If Miss Hannah before me is the one answering that question. There's only one answer I want Hannah to give. I want Hannah to say there was nothing more important to my Papa than Jesus. When my Papa was with me, he wanted to talk to me about Jesus. He didn't care for anything as much as he cared for Jesus. It's the only answer that I want. That, brothers and sisters, is what building and leaving a spiritual legacy is all about. And your friends and neighbors and children and grandchildren and church members, if they answer that question, similar to how I want Miss Hannah to answer it for me, Well, then you know, you will know that you followed the Lord's command. You have built and you have left a spiritual legacy. Would you stand with me, please?